Hello, hello. Hopefully you can, um, you're hearing me fine today. Um, okay. All right, so I'm going to be talking with you today. Um, I'm going I'm to go over different types of um, topics that's covered on the exam. And we're going to start from, um, we're going to go through different um, systems. And this is all under like patho and disease processes. This will probably flow really well under um, phase adaptation. So let's go right into it. And let's start off with um, first understanding cardiac and what you need to know about cardiac when it comes to the exam. So you're going to find this really beneficial. If you want the free workshop training, um, keep listening to the very end. So let's talk about cardiac and what you need to know about cardiac disorders on the NCLEX, whether it's the RN or the LPN. The first thing is that to really understand the heart well, you need to understand the basic anatomical structure. So many times what people do, especially if somebody's trying to pass and they haven't studied in a while, they will just go straight into learning the material and learning the, the disease processes without covering a really good foundation. And then they'll find themselves constantly having to review and um, read over and over again, but nothing is sticking. Like they're not remembering what they're reviewing. And the reason why is because they need to reestablish their foundation or they need to get a foundation that they didn't receive um, you know, through the nursing program. So you need to start off by when it comes to the heart, first, the heart is not as difficult as a lot of people make it to be. I know it's it's easy to say that, but it, it really isn't. You just have to change the way you look at it. So the, the first thing is that when we're looking at um, the heart, um, you need to first understand what is the basic anatomy of the heart. What, what is the heart is supposed to do? What's the anatomy? What's the structure of the heart? And you have to realize that the heart is like a pump. Um, and you have to be aware of the different chambers, you know, from the atrium, the ventricles, the aorta. Um, and so you need to first realize that there's two different, there's two main um, functions with the heart. Uh, or I should say processes. One, the first one is looking at the heart is that it's responsible for circulation and, and blood flow, right? So we, so in this regard, this is why it's important for you to comprehend how blood flows through the heart. Um, I notice when, I notice that many people will struggle to comprehend the pathophysiology of different disease processes pertaining to the heart because you don't know the normal pathophysiology of the heart. So it's, it's going to be hard for you to understand why they have certain signs and symptoms if you don't know that. So for example, um, when somebody, when you, when we take in, um, when, when blood comes into the heart, it enters on the right side, right? And that blood that enters on the right side, it's deoxygenated blood. So that deoxygenated blood enters into the right side, to, into the right atrium. 
um, and then it goes through. Um, I want to say it's the it's the mitral valve. Then from there it goes into the right ventricle. Then from there it goes through the pulmonic artery. Sorry, the pulmonic valve. Then the pulmonic artery. Then it goes through the lungs. So in the lungs, that's where that blood that was deoxygenated it becomes oxygenated, you know, it becomes perfused with oxygen in the lungs, which is why a lot of patients that have heart problems also have problems with their lungs. So they, so it gets perfused in the lungs, then it leaves the lungs and now it comes into the pulmonic vein and then it enters from the pulmonic vein into the um, left of the heart. So the left atrium, then the, tri then the um, tricuspid valve, then the left ventricle, then the aortic valve, and then from there the aorta, and then now it goes to the rest of the body. And now that's how that blood flow works throughout the rest of the body. So this is so important because when you're learning certain types of disorders, such as, um, you know, CHF, like right-sided versus left-sided, uh, COPD, it, you can better understand why they would have certain symptoms and not others because you understand how it's supposed to work in the first place so you have to memorize the physiology of the heart in order for you to fully comprehend and retain um, pertinent information so that's one thing that's really important when it comes to the heart so that's the that's one aspect of the heart then the other aspect of the heart is then we look at EKGs, right? EKG interpretation. And now this is another part of the heart, another dual function. Um, and this is where you have to understand something called the electric conduction system. The electric conduction system. So with the electric conduction system, this is how um, we produce heart rhythms. Okay, so the way that you have to understand, the way you, you, the way you need to understand um, the electric conduction system is that it's literally in, an impulse. It's an electrical impulse that's traveling through the heart. So I, I think the part that confuses people is that it's hard for them to interpret that this is happening simultaneously. So it's literally an electrical conduction, electrical impulse that travels through the heart. So it, so now, you the the electrical conduct system is a total, is something that's even naked through the eye. Like you can't really see it, um, through the eye now because this is a, a movement of an impulse, and it's so tiny. So it starts from the SA node, which is on top of the atrium, and then from the SA node it travels down to um, the AV node, and now you have the, the PR interval, okay? And, oh, I'm sorry. Um, it travels from the SA node to the AV node, and the, and the atria will contract, and now you have the PR interval. Then from there, from, it leaves the AV node, and it goes down the Purkinje of fibers. The Purkinje of fibers is literally the, the uh, I'm sorry, not the Purkinje of fibers, the bundle of his which is the location between the right and left ventricle. So if I had like a, a visual picture, it's literally the, um, the canal between the left and right ventricle. So that impulse will travel down the bundle of his, 
and then it will radiate out through the Purkinje fibers, which is fibers throughout the strands within both of the, um, the right and the left ventricle. And then now it, the ventricles will contract. Okay. Um, and so, the, and then that will cause you to see the QRS rhythm. All right, the QRS. And then finally, then it will do the process all over again. It will begin to refill, which will now produce the T wave. Uh, and then it will do everything all over again. And all this happened within seconds, right? Within seconds. And so that's why you need to, you do need to understand um, this normal flow. And then you, from there, you need to understand, okay, what is the, um, or like how, how many seconds or literally less than a second um, does each thin take? Like how long does it take for the PR? How long normally, how long does it take for the PR interval? How long does it take for the QRS um, interval? How long does it take? Like being aware of that time frame is significant, really, really significant. So, um, so that's, that's in a nutshell, explaining like the normal of the electrical conduction system. Then once you understand that, then you need to now move into medications and understanding cardiac, cardiac drugs. Um, and I usually tell people the best thing you can do for yourself is to organize or group the drugs. Because if you can group the drugs, um, it, it does make it a, a lot easier. So a lot of times when we're giving patients medications, we're giving them medications so that way the drugs can um, treat a outcome where the patient isn't properly um, doing those physiological processes, right? So, um, so for example, okay, we will give, if we're looking at, um, mm, let's see, Let's talk about blood pressure medication, right? So if we're giving the patient um, a blood pressure medication, it depends on which blood pressure medication because they have different mechanisms as far as how they work. But we can give them a blood pressure medication in order to help to relax um, their blood vessels, which helps the blood pressure to go down, which is called vasodilation, right? So... Um, so, and then as a result, that helps them to, it helps to minimize all the symptoms that they would have. So what I, tell, what I tell my students is that the better you understand how the heart works normally, um, the easier it is for you to comprehend the drugs, the disease process, and more. Okay. Then now let's talk about um, the respiratory system, Right. I know a lot of people. A lot of people love to learn about um, the respiratory system. That's one of our, our most. Um, it, that's one of the topics that we get a lot of engagement of, especially on our, our Instagram page, choosing nursing. So, with when it comes to the respiratory system, here's the thing I try to tell people because um, you once again, it's all about learning everything in a specific order. Right, learning in a specific order. So step one is first, let's understand the basics. Let's understand how does think things work normally. So what do we do normally? Normally, we breathe in oxygen, right? 
and we breathe out COPD. That's a fundamental truth, right? That's how it works. We breathe in oxygen and we breathe out CO2. So then once we breathe, we breathe that in, right? And we breathe out CO2. So now you can think about, and that's how gas exchange takes place. So in, some, in somebody that's healthy, somebody that has a normal lungs, when they breathe in the oxygen and they breathe out the CO2, there's something called gas exchange that takes place at the alveolar, which is located, which are like sacs located in the lungs, right? And that's how normal gas exchange takes place. But now think about it if somebody has, for example, COPD, right? So if they have COPD, they have something called um, uh, bronchoconstriction, okay? So what that essentially means is that the, those alveoli, well, first the bronchioles are constricted. Um, and then when they have COPD specifically, their alveoli are collapsed. Okay, so now when you when they breathe in the oxygen, that oxygen is struggling to have that proper gas exchange in order for them, the body to get the, uh, enough oxygen throughout their whole system. So that's why when you look at them, they will um, have like, you know, they'll be pale. They will have poor tissue perfusion. Um, you, you'll, they'll, they'll need to be on continuous oxygen. They need more oxygen. Um, a lot of these patients too, they, you'll see them in a very, like, um, like a, not like a, I won't say a fetal position, but like they're hunched over because they can't, they're not getting enough breaths. Um, you know, some of them, they'll complain and say that they feel like there's an elephant on their chest, right? This is all COPD patients. So, so if you can first understand that, if you can first understand what's happening when um, gas change takes place, it makes a world of a difference to help you to understand like asthma, COPD, other, other lung problems, uh, acute respiratory distress. It makes a world of a difference. So then from there, now that you, so now think about um, now when you think about this too, then you it help it makes it easier for you to comprehend um, something called um, how was, oh arterial blood gas, right? Arterial blood gas and just understand okay how does ABGs work now, right? Well, think about think about the last time you were in pain, all right? Think about the last time you're, when you're in pain, you don't feel like doing a whole lot, right? You don't, depending on where the pain is, you don't feel like taking in deep breaths. You want to stay in bed, right? You don't want to move around a lot. Now imagine somebody coming back from surgery that's in a lot of pain, right? So now what happens with them in the same regard they're having the same problem, meaning that they're in so much pain. So they're not taking a lot of deep breaths, right? So because they're not taking a lot of deep breaths, and remember, well, how does this work? We're supposed to breathe in oxygen and breathe out CO2. So as a result, they tend to retain 
more CO2, right? So they're more likely to have uh, respiratory acidosis, right? Because they're, they're retaining all the CO2 because they're in so much pain. So that's why it's so important to get them moving around and ambulating after surgery, right? So, because it helps, not only does it help with the movement of, the, of their uh, bowels, so that way they don't have an ileus, it also, you know, just gets them moving around, which is going to help them to promote more gas exchange, right? So that way they don't go into, they don't develop atelectasis. So, um, so hopefully, hopefully this is making like a little bit more and more sense as you're hearing this. But that's, these are some of like the basic principles towards really understanding um, patients that have um, like why it's so important to get them to move around, understanding gas exchange. Now think about it on the flip side for a patient that's really, really anxious, right? They're so anxious. Um, and so because they're so anxious, think about what happens when somebody's really anxious. They're taking way too many breaths. And because they're taking too many breaths, um, they're losing a lot of oxygen right i'm sorry they're losing a lot of co2 okay so because they're losing so much co2 um they're more likely to have go into respiratory alkalosis right because they're not they're getting rid of all that excess all that co2 so that's why we we will do what we'll give them a brown paper bag and tell them to breathe into the bag so that way they don't lose excess co2 and so then it makes it, it makes it a lot easier for you to understand or you to, here it is, anticipate the type of um, uh, arterial blood gas interpretation the patient would have based on their problem, based on their condition. So this is why if, if you get the basics, if you get the path out, everything else will, will begin to make a lot more sense. Then you can think about, then you got to think about what's the byproduct? What is this, the byproduct? What's the outcome of them not getting enough oxygen, right? The long-term outcome. What, would, what does it look like when they're not getting enough oxygen? Well, now the problem here is now you're going to see them and they're going to, not only are they going to be pale, Right. Hopefully they're not. Hopefully, if they if they're cyanotic, then you need to do something immediately, um, because that's an emergency. But it, they they're probably going to be pale. They're not getting adequate tissue perfusion. Um, patients, one of the hallmark signs is clubbing. Right. So you so that's a sign of chronic, poor tissue perfusion. Clubbing is essentially where you look at their fingers. And it looks kind of, um, for lack of better words, um, swollen. Um, you know, there's like a picture where I showed this actually, but it looks kind of like swollen. It looks at the at the end of all their fingertips and on their feet as well. So that's that's essentially what you're looking at here too, um, because of because of chronic poor oxygenation, right? 
So you so you got to be thinking about all of these things, and what we call this when I was when earlier I was talking about um, the cardiac system, and I was describing how blood flows into the lungs. We call we another term for that is just simply called pulmonary circulation. Okay, pulmonary circulation. So this is the this is this is what it is is that it's understanding first, okay. What is gas exchange? That's the that's the path of of, of respiratory disorders. What is gas? What is normal gas exchange? Now, what's the byproduct when that gas exchange is impaired? Right? What's the byproduct? What would um, what is now the ABG interpretation when that gas exchange is impaired? And then, what are the needs? Right? What what do you anticipate the patient's going to need? Obviously, they're going to need more. Um, um, what's the word? Oxygen, right? But you have to you have to really be careful with patients that are have COPD because they have lost that hypoxic drive, so you can't flood them with too much oxygen, right? So it's going to be normal that you know um, they're only on like a, a half a liter, two liters max. And their saturation levels are like 91%, 92%, you know, in the low 90s. What you do want to look out for if they are getting worse is you do want to look out for, um, what I'm, look, I'm looking for right now. Oh, if they begin to get more anxious. That's, a, that's a, usually a clear sign that something is wrong, Right. They become more anxious. They become more restless. Something is wrong, and it really depends on um, the scenario. It really depends on if they had surgery recently. Um, it depends on if they're newly diagnosed. It depends on if they had their medication recently. All of these are, are factors. Okay. All right, so that is um, respiratory. So now let's talk about um, let's go on to the next topic. And let's talk all about digestive system. Let's talk about the digestive system. Um, I will tell you, as far as the digestive system, this is such a um, good area to learn. It really is. Um, so uh, all of them are different systems. They all need each other, though, you know. So starting with the digestive system, first, once again, let's look at things, how it works normally, okay? So, uh, so normally, when somebody, uh, when somebody eats food, you have to first understand, okay, what's the, the normal digestive process? The normal digestive process starts off with um, they eat something, right? So pretty much they will... So eat something, it goes to the mouth. The mouth will release saliva, which will help to break down the food particles. They will travel down the esophagus. Then from there, we'll go into um, the stomach. Then from the stomach, it will enter into the small intestine. Then it will pass through the large intestine. Then through the then it will go through the which is the then the, the which is the colon, the rectum, and then now it's out of the body. That's how the, the normal process works, right? So now 
let's think about if a patient has um, a problem where that process is slowed down or that process is impaired. And so that's the part where you have to understand, okay, what does each, what does each part do, right? What does each organ that I just mentioned do? Once you understand what they each do, and if those, fu those functions are um, impaired, then you can anticipate the signs and symptoms as a result of it being impaired, right? Because think about what's on the test. The exam will always say questions like, what do you anticipate will go next? Will the doctor order? What do you anticipate what you'll do? Your, your ability to anticipate is based on how well you understand the patho. So if somebody, for example, let's say that their symptom, and it could be so many things. Let's say they're vomiting. Okay. okay so let me give you an example. Let's say they are throwing up. Well, what does the vomiting tell you? What does the vomiting tell you? Because literally you can tell the source of the vomiting based on understanding, like based on looking at the color of the vomit, of the vomitants, the frequency and when it happens. Okay. You can tell that's, that's how significant it is to understand assessment. So for example, if they are vomiting and the vomit is like a brown, greenish color, then they have a bowel obstruction. It's likely a bowel obstruction because by the time food passes through the, through the esophagus, the stomach, it goes into the small intestine, there's a problem where if they're, if it's, if the vomit, if the vomitus is like a greenish color, um, greenish brownish color, then there is some type of obstruction because at that point, the vomit will begin to, or sorry, the food that will, that somebody passes through, the color will change, bilirubin is released, right? Bile products are, bile acids being produced. And at that point, if they're throwing up, there is something wrong in their bowels. And so there's an obstruction and that obstruction is making it difficult for food to pass, which is why they're throwing up. So be, because of the color and the, because of the color and then you want, you obviously want to know more information, but it's likely some type of bowel obstruction. If the vomit is um, bright red, Okay, it's bright red, and let's say hmm, it occurs regardless of whether they eat or not. Okay, and let's say the patient has history of alcoholism. Now that that changes things, right? So now what they may have is esophageal varices, right? Because based on all those factors, uh, because over time what happens when somebody, um, they could have esophageal varices because of alcoholism. They could also have it because if the patient has history of bulimia. 
So over time, when somebody has bulimia, they throw up a lot intentionally, and that erodes the esophagus. Um, so all of these factors could tell you that, okay, they may have esophageal varices. Also as well, when somebody has, um, okay, let me not go into that because it would be too, too, too difficult to explain, but, but pretty much um, they are, it's like, it could be likely esophageal varices. Um, and you know, to upper bleed because it's bright red, right? So it must be an upper bleed. Um, let's say they have, let's say they are vomiting. It's bright red, but they don't have alcoholism. They don't have bulimia. They don't have any of that. Okay. Then they may have a bleed in their, in their intestine, in their small intestine, or they could have an ulcer. Right, so in, so they're probably going to need surgery. Um, let's say they are bleeding, or sorry, let's say they are vomiting, but the vomit is dark. It's like, uh, and oh my goodness, I remember, I still remember it to this day, seeing a patient throwing up dark, Jesus, oh my gosh, but it was literally, um, it looked like coffee grounds that's what that's what it looked like it looked like coffee grounds that this, this person throw up so if that's happening what does that mean it means that they're also having a bleed but the bleed is further down the digestive system so it's likely in the large intestine area so there's like a hole because the blood dried up and it said that's a medical emergency. They need to go to surgery ASAP, right? So just by looking at, that's why you you need to look at the, the color. If, you, if your patient throws up, you have to look at the vomit. You have to look at it. That's the great thing about being a nurse. You get to see all the, the, um, the beautiful side <laughs> of assessing. But you have to look at the color. You have to pay attention to uh, if it does have the odor, you have to pay attention to when it happened. Was it when they were trying to eat? Did it, was it when they weren't trying to eat? What did they get up? Like what happened? You need to know all that data because it tells you a lot of information. Okay. So there's an example there. Looking also another example, like, cause literally it's just, it's literally when it comes to disease processes in the digestive system, it's all about I did like identifying like the the pathway of the digestive system and then answering the, the source where it started and, and then moving your way up. So for example, if you have a patient that has um, pyloric stenosis, which is occurs normally in pediatric patients, um, what's happening here is that there is a, a valve, okay? It's called the pyloric sphincter valve. Um, it's literally located right below this, right after the stomach, but right before the small intestine. And that valve, what it's supposed to do, it's supposed to open and close so that way they can move on to the next part of the um, digestive process, which is the small intestine. But unfortunately, when they have pyloric stenosis, that valve is closed. That valve is stenotic. Um, meaning that it's not closing and opening the, correctly. And as a result, think about it now. 
the baby, let's say the baby is drinking formula or something or um, breast milk, uh, they will eat, 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 eat. It will get to the valve and that valve will literally like regurgitate it out. So that's why these patients tend to have projectile vomiting because it will just, it will just spew out because the valve, that valve is not working properly. So therefore they need to have something called a pylormyotomy. And the pylormyotomy is a procedure where they will open up that valve. Um, and so that way food can properly pass through. So, but you see how, if I, if you understand the pathophysiology, if you understand the pathophysiology, it makes it easier for you to understand the signs and symptoms. That's one thing I teach my students all the time when I'm working with them is I'm trying to help them to understand, to see, okay, if you get the pathophysiology, it will make it a thousand percent easier for you to understand like um, the signs and symptoms for you to understand why you would have this kind of symptom, but not this one, right? So just like right now, when I was explaining the different color of the vomit, it, it, I, it made it easier to understand why it's bowel obstruction versus a bleed. So that's why you have to know the, the path, though. It, otherwise, you'll ta it will take longer to comprehend the diseases. And unfortunately, it's the reason why a lot of people are, you, you kind of remain stuck. Okay. Okay, so now um, we're going to go on and we're going to do... Um, Let's talk about the endocrine disorder. What I'm going to actually do, I'm going to um, so, so I'm going to st stop this and start an, another one because I'm th I'm concerned that this video will be too long, and then people won't finish it. Um, well, let me think about that. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to start. I'm going to start a new one. It's I'm going to call it part two, and I'm come I'm going to come right back on. If you found this helpful, though, what I if you want the full training, I do have a, a a full training that we're working on releasing. Um, just type the, it's called pretty much how to learn all of the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for right now? How to learn all of the body systems correctly. Um, if you want to watch that training, that one's better because it's it's visual. So if you want to, want to listen to that, type the word yes. Um, but right below this, I think this allows you to comment. Um, type the word yes below this audio to get access to that. And I'm going to start and stop this and start uh, the part two. So I'll see you in the part two. Hopefully you enjoyed this first segment so far. And um, if you, oh, and then we do have a body systems course. Uh, in the body systems course, that one, I go over all the body systems in more detail. There, it's videos, PowerPoint slides. Um, there's also an assessments. Um, so I, I'll post that below this as well after this is over. All right, so I'm going to come right back on and do part two. Thank you so much for listening to that episode. I hope that you truly enjoyed it. I hope that you learned something, you took something away, or if it was hopefully eye-opening or if it encouraged you. Um, I really hope that you enjoyed it. Once again, if you haven't already, you can always visit our website, which is choosenursing.net. And I want to talk to you for a brief moment. Are you somebody where you are, you have been trying to pass your NCLEX exam? Um, if you've been struggling um, for quite some time now and you don't know what to do, you don't know what you're doing wrong, 
or how to do things differently, then I definitely want to encourage you to um, join our School of the NCLEX program. This is a very in-depth um, school-like setting where we meet virtually um, and we have twice per week classes. You get access to our online portal. There's also um, one-on-one one, one -on -one sessions in addition to um, teachings and we do practice questions together. It's like night classes, but it's also very intimate. So if you want to learn more about the program, if you just click below um, this episode, you can find out more details about all about it and how you can become a part of it. Um, and then if you are somebody where you're um, either in nursing school or you already got your license, you're you have other things that you're trying to work on, then definitely visit our website, choosingnursing.net, for some of our other resources. Thank you. Make sure that you hit the subscribe um, to our channel here so you can get a, that way you can know when, when I release another episode. See you the next time.